Good morning, diners and travelers. You're listening to On the Menu with Anne and Peter Haig. And today we're bringing you a subject close to my heart. The show is Ray Italia. And our first guest is Mary Ann Esposito, truly a superstar, a culinary superstar, celebrity. What she doesn't know about Italian cuisine isn't worth knowing. Yeah, you maybe recognize Marianne from um, her PBS show, Ciao Italia, which in fact is the America's longest running continuous cooking show with over 1.2 million viewers per episode. I mean, that's a real accomplishment. He, he, and she writes books. Is this her 12th or 13th? Even, even she's been doing it even longer than on the menu radio has been going. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> That tells you that tells you something. Any, anyway, well, the subtitle is I think I want to mention is my lifelong food adventures in Italy because it explains that this is kind of a, a summation um, of of all of her experiences. So that's the subject, and she goes back to places and looks forward to other places. Anyhow, um, it's it's a good interview. Marianne's so good. Marianne Esposito, host of PBS's Ciao Italia. Um, it's been a while since we talked. Um, I was going to introduce you, counting up the television episodes you've done and the books you've written, but I think I'd need a PhD in mathematics to get it all captured. I've been doing this for a while. And nobody knows Italy, I think, as well as you do. It's just, um, uh, it, it's amazing, all the... The, the regional emphasis that you've brought to Italian cuisine in this country. Well, thank you, Anne. I mean, you know, that has been the focus of the television show, Ciao Italia, for these last 28 years, is to really educate people about um, the fact that there is no Italian food. There's only regional food. And so all my books kind of follow that pattern. Uh, and um, th- this... Did you ever read, uh, Lydia Bastianich did a, a book about Italian-American cuisine, and it was interesting to see all of the foods that I was raised on as Italian. Uh, there yeah. were all these substitutions that had nothing to do with the originals. Mm-hmm. So, but anyhow, I was telling you before that I opened this book and looked for recipes that I loved and would give a little squeal. <laughs> Uh, but you, you give such a good sense of of why these dishes come out of these different regions. And mm-hmm. it's it subtitled your book, My Lifelong Food Adventures in Italy. Tell right. us a little bit about how you gathered all of these uh, experiences. Well, all these experiences are jotted down in over 30 journals that I've kept over the years and with all of the trips that I've made to Italy. So starting in, you know, 1984, 85, I can't really remember. I made my very first trip to Italy, and I I remember going to Sorrento to uh, learn more about uh, Southern Italian food in a cooking school. And so I kept this journal with me. And so then when, when I got by the bug uh, that everything in the world had to be Italian. I was a real Italian Italophile. I decided to, to keep going to Italy, and every year since then I did. 
And I kept a journal for every region that I was in. So now I've covered all the regions of uh, Italy. I've, I've made maybe 56 trips or so uh, to Italy over all these years. And a lot of them, of course, were in conjunction with the TV show, Ciao Italia, but they all became, uh, those journals became the basis for the books wrote. And it's interesting because, you know, I can go back to these journals that are years old, you know, maybe 1992 or something, if I'm trying to recall something. It's as if I'm right back there when I look back in those journals and I, you know, I can remember exactly where I was, who I was working with, and so on. And so this book, Ciao Italia, My Lifelong Food Adventures in Italy, is kind of a capstone of all of my travels uh, in Italy. And I wanted the reader to know that there is so much to Italy that I could have written two books, three books, and never have captured the essence of what is Italian regional food. And I've written 13 books, <laughs> but, but you know, I mean, I've really just scratched the surface. So this book is, um, I, uh, hopefully, is a good read for people who want to know more about the regions of Italy, why recipes are called what they are, as you mentioned in, in your intro, you know, what's the, the story surrounding them, why are the ingredients important, and so on. I even put a map, beautiful-looking map, uh, in the front cover, uh, on the inside front cover of uh, Italy so that people could really reference back to what I'm talking about in the stories that I'm telling about the different regions that I'm in. And the other thing I thought was really a, a very good addition was the Mediterranean diet pyramid. That says a yeah. lot. Yes, yes, because as we all know, you know that the Mediterranean food pyramid is is one that uh, has foods on it that we should be eating. This is this is the diet that we should be following, the Mediterranean diet. I mean, this has come out of the FDA, and of course, the Mediterranean diet has been touted as the healthy diet for all of us. And so, when I put that pyramid in of the Mediterranean food pyramid, I'm not. It's not just about Italy, but it's about, about any Mediterranean country like Spain or, or or Greece that also complies with this type of food, where you're eating a lot of um, healthy grains, you're you're eating lots of vegetables and fruits, fish. You're not eating a lot of meat. Maybe occasionally you're eating meat. Your cooking fat is olive oil instead of butter or lard. Your sweets are kept to a minimum. So if you follow the Mediterranean diet, and of course the recipes in, in this book reflect that, because if you look at the way the book is, is uh, put together, you've got a real heavy emphasis on vegetables, of course, and the chapter on pasta, because pasta is a good food for us. It's just that we have abused it yeah, in this country. Too much of it. I mean, you never see yeah. an Italian sitting down with a, a mountain. Yeah, with a platter full. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So, uh, I, and I talk about that in the in the pasta chapter that you know, yes. pasta is not a carb with consequences. It is a, a good carb, and it's and I tell you why. And so many many beautiful recipes with uh, with pasta in oh, the book, and of course so meat, vegetables. Yeah, you have so many pasta dishes that are enticing. It's amazing. And then on top of that, a whole section on different sauces. Yes, on pasta sauces because, you know, people think that there's tomato sauce and, and pesto sauce and there it ends. 
But there are so many different sauces, like, for instance, the ricotta cheese sauce. It's in the book, very easy to make. Or the kale sauce. You know, kale is such a popular vegetable right now. I wanted to make sure that it got its day in the sun uh, in my book. So there are, there's lots of wonderful sauces in there. There's a beautiful sauce called La Genovese, which has nothing to do with Genoa. You would think, you know, if you, if you listen to that, La Genovese, oh, it has to do with Genoa. Yeah, right. No. It has to do with Naples, and it's. Uh, and I tell you why it's called La Genovese. So uh, there, you know, there's lots of interesting stories. The interesting thing is that people like Lydia Bastianich have told us that you go you go easy on the sauce. Now Amer- Americans don't do that. Americans don't go easy on anything, I guess. No, no, and that's one of the things I say in that chapter is that you you know you you have to have the right ratio of pasta to sauce. It's never a situation in Italy where you can't see the sauce, you can't see the pasta for the sauce. In other words, you don't have a pile of pasta that's topped with a pile of sauce. You have a light you know, you have a light coating of the of the of the pasta with the sauce so that you can see the the pasta and, and you have just the right amount of sauce and if the sauce you've sauced your pasta with is pooling in the base of your dish, you know you've added too much. Yeah. Well, you know, my family, you and I talked before, I mean, I had the, my, my, my meals were Sicilian, actually. Um, they would have the pasta, like, and then they would have the sauce, I mean, talking about red sauce, and then they would put ricotta on top of that. Did you ever hear that? Yeah, well, that's an Italian-American thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I never, know, uh, saw, never saw that in Italy. Well, well, we got you there. And you, by the way, you're going to have some sausage and meatballs in it, too. <laughs> right, and I tell you that there is no such thing as that. But, you know, it, it, uh, again, I think when an author writes a cookbook like this, your responsibility is to, it's to educate and, as well as entertain. So, you know, you, you've got to give the right scoop. But maybe there are people who are reading your book or, or cooking from your book that are never going to get to Italy. But they can vicariously be there through you and how you have positioned uh, authentic recipes in, in the book. And that's what I've tried to do. Well, you have wonderful essays on various subjects such as um, um, salt, uh, olive oil. Um, what are some of the other ones you're doing here? Rice, oh, I, rice? I, yeah. I did one on rice. Uh, I did one on real uh, Neapolitan tomatoes. Yeah, exactly. um, I, I did a really interesting piece, which is probably my favorite one in the book, it, uh, titled When Saints Compete. Oh, yes, um, that, was, that was fascinating, actually. Yeah, that, that's a, that's, that was fascinating to me, too, and it, it stayed with me for such a long time. I said, I really have to put that in the book as well. And, of course, the book has gorgeous photography, uh, beautiful photos, of full-page photos of, of, of the dishes, Some of the, 60 of them, actually, of the 160 gorgeous. recipes that are in the book. In color, gorgeous, yes. Yeah. Um, and, and then you also, you, you put the um, head notes on each recipe, too. Yes, yes. For instance, you know, I wanted to inter- I wanted to put recipes in this book that maybe people were not that familiar with. And as I told you earlier when we were talking, I don't like to repeat recipes that I've had in other books because I don't think that's fair to the to the buying public. I want my recipes to be new. For sure there are some recipes that you need to repeat, like for instance how to make a good chicken, a brodo, a broth, 
or a, a beef broth. So kids, those are basics. But one of the recipes that I really cherish in this book, and I did a lot of research on, was a cake, and it's called La Torta Mimosa, a oh, mimosa yeah. cake. And I don't know if you read the story, but it has to do with International Women's Day, which is on March 8th. And so there's a beautiful photo of the mimosa cake and, of course, the recipe on how to make it, which is not difficult. But the story that goes with it, I think, is really, really special. Well, the stories are great. And now, I mean, are all of these recipes actually thing, recipes that you encountered in Italy? The one I've never heard of, and I'm, there are a lot, as you know, is uh, risotto with blueberries. Oh, yes. I had that in northern Italy. I was very surprised by that, too, but I was in a restaurant near Lake Garda. Uh, in the Dolomite Mountains, right. and I was there for a convention, and when I saw that on the menu, I said, what? Yes. Risotto <laughs> with blueberries, but yes. So I, I, uh, you know, jotted down all this information as I was there, and I tested these recipes, and by the way, all of the recipes in the book are tested by me, so I oh, know I was they wondering. were. Uh, so yeah. They're yeah. all tested again by you, but you don't you know. By me. Yes, I by think. me. <laughs> well, you know, your um, pesto um, recipe is the same ingredients that I have in mine, but, I mean, the, the uh, Genovese, but your pro- proportions are so totally different. It's amazing. You, you mean for making the pesto sauce? Yes. For yeah. Pesto, yeah. Well, the, 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 the story that I tell you there is that for the Genovese, Making pesto sauce is a religion, and in order to do it correctly, you can you do not use a food processor because that will destroy the essence of the basil. You know, because basil is a very fragile herb, and by whirling it around in a food processor, you first of all putting heat directly into it, you're mushing it up it too much, brown. <laughs> and it turns brown. And so, you know, really, the the right way to do it is with a mortar and a pestle. And I watched. Uh, a um, a champion pesto sauce maker uh, make it at a basil farm when I took a group to Italy to Liguria, and the the thing that I learned is that for the Genovese you have to use the smallest leaf basil you can find, not the big leaf basil, but the smallest yes. one. And I started thinking about that. Thought, well, now why is that? Well, obvious. It's obviously easier to pulse and pulverize with a mortar and a pestle smaller leaves than it would be with bigger leaves. Plus, they take out the center vein of the basil leaf. Now, I, I tell people, you know, you, you don't have to do this. I mean, but, <laughs> but if you're really going to be authentic, authentic about it, you should take out the center vein of the basil leaf itself. But there's just those little nuances of information that I think are so important, you know, that you might not otherwise know about, you know? Yeah, well... Yeah, and the uh, I love the story of, of you with the uh, pasta maker. Oh, yes, Francesca makes pasta. Yes, yes. Francesca makes pasta. Yes, tell us yes. about that. That first of all, you the luncheon sounded fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. Yeah, no, that you know, and the thing is, for a lot of women of that era, you know, this was their badge um, that they. At one time, women like Francesca, who was, you know, a woman of a certain age, 
had to know how to make pasta before they got married, believe it or not. This was, they needed to know how to make pasta, how to make homemade pasta. Well, of course, you know, those days have, have gone by the wayside. And as the Francescas of the world, uh, you know, disappear and, and pass on, you don't have a younger generation that has the time, uh, energy, or maybe even the interest of making fresh pasta at home because, of course, our lives are so busy. Even in Italy, this is true. Oh, true. I mean, who uh, do you, how it's, really, make it? no, it's really funny. Gianluigi, who's the owner of uh, Pasta Rusticella, he, he said, my pasta is better than 75% of homemade <laughs> pasta that's out there anyway. Yeah, well, you know, this, this is true, too. There are, there are so many wonderful imported Italian pastas that you really don't have to make pasta at home, but believe me, there is a critical difference in taste oh, yeah. between a homemade pasta and a commercially prepared one. But I also tell you in that chapter, you know, uh, what you should look for in terms of buying dried pasta in a package. Uh, and this year, this past fall, I took a group to Naples and to Amalfi, and I took them to a, uh, a pasta factory where they could see how the pastas, the dried pastas uh, in Naples are made. And, of course, they use a bronze right. dye, which, yeah. which gives a rough surface to the dried pasta as opposed to companies that use a Teflon. Uh, um, extruder, which right. makes the pasta so smooth that it's hard for the sauce to cling to it. So if you have a rough cut, or if you have a rough surface uh, uh, pasta, one that's been extruded through a bronze dye, your the likelihood of the of the sauce falling off of it is is difficult. I mean, it's going to cling to it because of that rough surface. You know, we were just in um, in Galway, Ireland, for uh, um, food on the edge. And we went to this little out-of-the-way uh, cafe, mm-hmm. and we looked up on the shelves where they had products stored, and yeah. there were two shelves of rusticella pasta. <laughs> oh, well, good. <laughs> did, we have, did we send that to uh, I didn't, John Lee? I, I, didn't, I didn't find his email yet. I'm still looking oh, for okay. his email, so I, can, <laughs> so I can send it to him. Now, what, tell us uh, inside tips on bread baking. Well, you know, a lot of people steer clear of bread baking because they're so afraid uh, to work with yeast. But, you know, today dried yeast has been so reformulated that you can add it dry to to your flour mixture. You don't have to uh, proof it in water and people worry about the water not being the right temperature and, uh, you know, they're going to kill it if it's too hot. So you have options. You can can still do it. You can still proof in water if you want to, and I still do that. Or you could just add your yeast to, um, you know, your dry ingredients. And and if you're making bread, you want to make sure that you're using the right flour to to make it and you want to make sure that uh, you measure correctly because, of course, in Italy, uh, all ingredients are weighed, especially when you're dealing with baked goods. So if you don't, you know, you should invest in a scale. But if you don't have a scale, I tell people that then you should think about using what's called the sprinkle and sweep method when you measure flour, which which means instead of you taking a measuring cup and driving it into a a bag of flour so that you come up with this compacted uh, (laughs) cup, you should lightly sprinkle the flour with a spoon 
from the bag or the canister into the measuring cup until it's over the top of the rim and then sweep it off with a butter knife. So you'll have a much better accurate measurement of how much flour you're using if you aren't using a scale. It's a, to, be, to be really perfect about baking, you ought to use uh, a, a scale. scale. But, yeah. of course, you know, we don't have that metric system here, so we have to go by, uh, you know, ounces. How do you like and, all these people? I mean, the daughter of a friend of mine bakes endless loaves of bread, and she does it all with wild yeast. Well, that's wonderful. I'd, I'd love to do that as well. But again, I'm thinking about my readers. You know, do they have time for this or do they even want to do that? So uh, these recipes, you have to make them approachable for people. So there are over 160 recipes in this book that anyone can do. So you don't have to capture wild yeast in your I kitchen. I wouldn't even consider it. Yeah. I mean, I've done it. I, I've done it. But, you know, it, that's, that comes with a lot of experience, too, of, you know, making a lot of bread. So if, you've, if you're a big bread baker, you've got a lot of wild yeast floating around in your kitchen. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the magic happens, and how do you capture it? And that could take days, or you just get frustrated <laughs> sometimes. So get yourself a package of dry yeast. <laughs> I've always used the packaged yeast. Yeah. Jeez, so yeah. Go, go around with a butterfly net. <laughs> yeah. the and there is a beautiful recipe in this book for semolina bread, a Sicilian semolina bread. Yeah, I saw so, that. Uh, yeah. You, you've been looking for that recipe for a while, or you've had it for a while? Well, I had it for a while because, you know, my mother and grandmothers, who were all in the food business, they made bread on a daily basis. So uh, I knew, you know, I know, I knew then how to make Sicilian bread. But what I wanted readers to know is that you you have to use Durham semolina to make it. That's what right. gives uh, semolina bread. Durham, uh, that's what gives Sicilian bread its beautiful yellow glow and color and into the crumb. You can't just use semolina flour, which is a gritty flour that's used really to make dried pastas. What I tell you in the book is that Durham semolina, D-U-R-U-M semolina, is a finer grind of semolina flour. So it's got a silky texture. Mm-hmm. If you tried to make the bread with just the semolina, you'd, have, you'd, you'd wind up with a brick. You need to use Durham semolina. So it should say Durham semolina on the bag of flour, and this is already available uh, in grocery stores and online. Well, Mary Ann, you, you, you know so much and you've written so much. Uh, what, what's your next project? Oh my gosh, and I, I'm about ready to think about production of our next season, which would be our 29th year. Oh, wow. Uh, on public television. So I'm gearing up for that right now. I'm on book tour, getting this book launched. Um, I, he, I hope people will find it uh, a wonderful read and, a helpful book in understanding Italian regional food, and and um, I don't know what's next. Maybe another book. <laughs> okay, boy, I mean, we're finishing up our fifteenth year of the show, and yeah, I, I mean, you're you're finishing, you're starting almost double. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so I well, I, if you, I if you love you. what you do, 
if you love what you do, you just do it, right? Right. Again, listeners, it's uh, the latest in the Ciao Italia series by Marianne Esposito, and it's sort of a summation uh, of her experiences. My lifelong food adventures in Italy, and do yourself a treat, especially with the holidays coming up. Get one for yourself and, and give them to all your family and friends as well. Marianne, good luck with your book, huh? Thank you, Anne, and thank you, Peter, and good and happy holidays to you. And you too, Marianne. Good to talk to you again. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye now. Bye-bye. Ciao, ciao. And don't go away, because there'll be more of Italia right after the break. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Welcome back. Um, next up, we have a book called Tasting Italy, A Culinary Journey by America's Test Kitchen. And uh, we're going to be talking to Julia Della Croce about this work, which in fact is a collaboration between America's Test Kitchen and National Geographic. And uh, in addition to the wonderful recipes, uh, you'll find in here um, knock-your-socks-off photographs as well as maps and a, a real venture into a regional Italian cooking. There's probably no place I like talking about more than Italy and its culinary traditions. And um, we're going to be talking to um, we're going to be talking about a book that has been produced. And uh, Julia Della Croce is going to be uh, sort of explaining it all to us and how it was put together and what we could expect from it. Uh, Julia, um, you you must have had a ball in all your cookbook writing career dealing with something as, as wonderful as Italian food. Well, you can say that again. I sure did. It really has been a lifetime Love of mine. My background is Italian. My mother is from. I was born in Sardinia. Oh yeah, you, um, I read that. You know, we love Sardinia. Well, you know, I'm, most people both don't know where it is. I know. Use it with Sicily, and and of course know nothing about it because American travelers have a tendency. You know, it, it's one of the least traveled places for right. American Americans. Um, and I might want to keep it that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, my background but, um, is, is Sicilian, is and it's, I know about this island thing, but more people know about Sicily. Um, a, yes. a funny aside, we were north of uh, Sydney in Australia, and we found the Sardinian restaurant. And, oh. Yeah, and, uh, and he had been dying to get in touch with a Sardinian chef in Texas. <laughs> so, so, and, you, so you made the connection for yeah, him. Yeah, he, he owns two restaurants in Texas, so we were able to connect these two, a world apart. Ah. But, but the interesting thing was, he he said, I'm, I'm, I'm getting that, what's that, mullet row? Oh, but, uh, Botarga. Botarga. He said, I'm getting Botarga from a guy in Queensland, and it's better than from Italy. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that's right. What, that's what he said. <laughs> So. You'd have to prove that to me. <laughs> well, it, 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 was a, it was a great restaurant, and the Botaga was really good. <laughs> well, back to this book, Julia. I mean, it's an ambitious 
project, to say the least. I mean, Italy is such a diverse place, uh, region to region. I mean, most people don't understand that it has always been individual regions for most of its existence until really, uh, when was the unification? 1861. 1861. So, so there was plenty of room, and especially with all the invasions and whatnot, for all these different places to develop their own culinary traditions, which is what happened. So that if we talk about Italian food, we're not talking about a singular cuisine. Yes, well, there actually is no such thing as Italian food, which any native Italian would tell you. Right. You know, there's such a thing as Roman food. have gone by the wayside. And as the Francescas of the world, uh, you know, disappear, and, and you know, even, even to this day. And, um, of course, as you said, that is because the regions, all 20 of them, until, you know, uh, 1861, were, were not a nation. They're a much newer nation than we are. You know, and until then, each of those regions were very um, uh, distinct um, political uh, entities, and they had distinct um, dialects of their own languages, really. We call them dialects today, but they're, they were the, the native languages. And, of course, also very distinct cuisines, which reflect histories of those places, the terroir of those places. And they are really quite different. Years ago, people used to talk about oh, northern Italian cuisine, you know, thinking that it was more, you know, more of a, um, a more sophisticated a cuisine than southern cuisine. And that is just simply not true. There's uh, no listen, northern the, cuisine. I, I, there, are, there are 20 different cuisines. Actually, I mean, I, I went to school in Florence, and um, oh. and the uh, we were staying with a, a university professor, and he did not even consider Sicily Italian, <laughs> Italy. <laughs> but back to this book, I mean, we haven't right. even mentioned the Andrew, title. Hold, hold on a second. All the people in Sicily agreed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> I'm sure they did, and every, and every other Italian would agree, would say the same thing, that, right. you know, um, Sardinia. Sardinians will tell you that they are not Italian. They oh, are yeah. Sardinian. Yeah. I love Sardinian. But anyhow, um, the book is called Tasting Italy. And I think it's interesting to note the subtitle is A Culinary Journey because it's a very ambitious project. I mean, a hundred recipes to define the cuisine of Italy. And today we're bringing you a subject close to my heart. The show is Ray. Now, but this is a collaboration. Tell us about the different parts of the collaboration. Okay. Well, um, we all got together to begin with people from National Geographic and people from America's Test Kitchen and myself and Eugenia uh, Joby Bone, who's the co-author on this book with me, because they wanted to um, have the book produced within a year, and that wouldn't have been possible you know, with, with one, just one person writing. For one thing, if I had done the recipes myself, which I, you know, always do in my own cookbooks, I wouldn't have had the time to um, write the essays that I wrote for the book. Um, and essentially, you know, I, I, ha- I have been uh, uh, traveling in Italy uh, sometimes within for short periods of time in Italy all of my life. And, you know, my, my what, what this book represents is a year of my writing uh, the 10 different um, essays that were my task. Eugenia's task was to write essays for 10 the other regions, and the two of us worked on the other concepts, the other maps and so on. 
but it really reflects a lifetime of um, work, research, field work. Um, on my part, it took a year for me to write half of the essays for this book and do, as, as I said, the other you know parts of it. But it really reflects a lifetime for me of immersion in in, in Italy and in, in, in Italy's um, culinary culture. Now, so yes, it certainly is an ambitious project, and I think if I hadn't had that background, it would have been impossible a lot harder <laughs> to do. Uh, it may be impossible. Yes. Now I, I I don't want to take issue with you here, Julia, but surely there is one thing which is common through most of Italy, and that's the panoply of ingredients. For 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 example, olive oil is fairly universal in in Italy. No, 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 in no, all no, parts. no, no. Or, am, I, am I wrong? <laughs> You're wrong. I'm wrong. Okay. The north is butter. <laughs> okay. All right. Now. Do, do, do tell me again what, what your question is, because I'm not certain that I got that. It, 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 seem, it seems to me, now I've not been in Italy nearly as many times as Anne, but it, it does see, seem to me that there is, a, there is a portfolio of ingredients which is fairly universal across Italy, and of course Anne just pointed out that I'm wrong. You are. Well, that, <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm used to, well, tell, well, well, I'm, I'm used to telling, me, telling me I'm wrong, so it doesn't bother me a little bit. <laughs> Well, well, I mean, you know, yeah, you've explained, Julie. Partially correct, you know, um, especially because today uh, Italy has changed a lot, and, and Italy's food traditions are, are changing constantly um, as it absorbs other cultures, um, as it sort of experiments, chefs experiment with ingredients that are not typical of the cuisines, you know, of their own regions. And it is changing a great deal. I mean, I, I, every time I go, I, I go to Italy, often because I also have a business in, in Venice, and, and I'm, it changes constantly, and it's changing a great deal. Um, but what you know, what I did with this book was really I wanted to capture capture the traditions and the traditional products, you know, of each distinct region, um, because I'm very concerned about. Uh, Italy's cuisine changing so much so that in another generation or two, you know, I have to wonder, will, will they still be cooking the way they're cooking now? So that was really, you know, my purpose in, in, in my approach in my essays was to talk about the traditions. Right. Um, they are very powerful traditions, and they are um, rooted in the geography of the country, as I said, and in the, um, you know, historical traditions, um, but everything's changing so fast in our world, and that includes what's going on in, in food, traditional food culture, such as Italy. Yeah, no, I mean, that you, you touched on a, a really interesting feature of the book, is that you have, um, you have divided it into regions, uh, and you have used um, maps and, and uh, identified product typical to the regions um, it's it's usable as not just a um, in fact not as much as a cookbook as it is a, a guide for traveling and understanding the culture well it really is an atlas and it is I would call it more a travel book um, right. than than a cookbook right. because the, with only as you said a hundred recipes you know can't possibly represent you know all of the all of the regions, um, but there's so much to know. And, and one of the, the great things, you know, 
about doing this book for me is talking about the, the products uh, that Italy produces um, is not just an academic exercise any longer because so many of these products are now available to us. I mean, even certain salumi that we were not, uh, cured meats that we were not able to get, um, you know, 10 years ago, we are able to, they are exported now. And so many of Italy's hundreds of thousands, really, of cheeses are exported. Interesting, interesting side sidebar, Julie. We were in Ireland at a food conference a couple of weeks ago, and in in a small town in Connemara, where it was a cafe. I think I had a bowl of soup and had something else. We looked behind where oh, Anne, yeah, behind where Anne was sitting were shelves with products for sale, and two of the rows were pasta rusticella from Abruzzo. <laughs> oh, really? Yes. Yeah. We took a photo. Did you ever send that photo I, to I, him? I can't. I can't find his email. Oh, I'll I, 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 I will send. I will send it to. Him. We met him in two thousand six. Yeah, okay, so it was a time fairly ago. long time ago. Yeah, we went to you, yeah, you're talking about Rustichella d'Abruzzo, right? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. That, that one. yes well, I, mean, I know those folks, and I've been to their pasta factory and toured their their wheat field. Yeah, we did uh, too. During the harvest time. Have you been on that tour with them? Uh, well, we went, and, and it wasn't so much a he, he tour. Took, he, he took, took us. You know, Gianluigi took took us everywhere himself. Yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, yes, John. John we 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 stayed in a we stayed in a, a, a beautiful little town which with a double barreled name which of course I have forgotten. But it was it was wonderful, yeah. And, uh, Did and you stay in the, in the hotel that was once a castle? That's the one, yes. Yes, I stayed there too. So we know that. Yes, I know those folks as well. They do produce an, an extraordinary pasta, and I keep finding it everywhere too. They they're really doing a good job, you know, marketing it. But it is a wonderful, wonderful brand of pasta. Well, there, there were a, there was a, there was a group of us, and there were two or three other people who were visiting Rusticella. Uh, in Naples, are made, and of course, they use a bronze right. dye. Right. Time to go out for dinner, and uh, we oh, said, that's we, right. we, we said, we asked one of the other people in the party. And you, <laughs> you know so much, and you've written so much. Uh, what, what's your next project? We went and we traveled. And we and we went, and it was wonderful. Yeah, so. Did you wind up going to La Bilancia? I don't. I, I don't know what it was called. I, I know wherever it, we went, it had some wonderful wild mushrooms. That much I remember. And of course, well, and of course, lots of pasta. Loves to take people to this particular restaurant, and they even will make pasta right in front of you by hand. Not the typical kind of thing that we, we think of as you know, salad so on, not with a machine, but the, the local pasta of that of of uh, that area and. The wife of the owner, of course, she's one of the owners too, makes it right in front of you, and it is just extraordinary how she pulls this dough into into cords, essentially that are you know meters and meters and meters long. Uh, I mean, I, it's just astonishing how she does it. But um, she, she did it for us in the dining room. But I, I think that's probably the restaurant he took you to because it's very typical of that area uh, of of that um, uh, province. Yeah, well, you know, um, uh, uh, you talk about things changing. Um, Sean Luigi told us that when his grandfather, I think it was, founded the com- the company, um, they they made something like you know five or six pasta shapes, and now every little village wants its own shaped pasta. So he makes you know thousands of these. Uh, proof it in water, and people worry about the water not being the right temperature. And I, you know, just on days of the week when it was sunny. 
outside. Because they were drying it outside. Yeah, right. they, 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 they didn't have machines to dry it. All they had, all they had was the good old uh, sun and moon and stars. Like laundry. <laughs> yeah, well, like that's that. how they made pasta. Yeah, yeah. Naples too, on the streets, drying, drying it on the street. Well, um, now the, back to this book. Now you, you actually in your little salt, uh, olive oil. Um, what are some of the other ones you're doing here? Right oh. into um, like Abruzzo and um, Tuscany and so forth. Um, you touch more than lightly on. Things like wines as well. Yeah, you, did you say you've been looking for that recipe for a while, or you've had it for a while. We also talk about um, the festivals, the Sagre, which I'm sure you, because you travel in Italy as much as you do, you have come across them in your travels. The wonderful food festivals that um, are held typically during the harvest season, but really throughout the year. Yeah, but we, we've been to some of them. My favorite was the Artichoke Festival. I never thought I had enough artichokes. <laughs> and so ah. I, we were at the Artichoke Festival. Where were you? Where, it, where were it was we? in a little town called Ladispoli. Oh, Ladispoli. They're famous for their artichokes. Yeah, yeah, it, this, it happened. Artichokes. We, were, we were staying at the uh, the property that J. Paul Getty used to own called the Pasta Vecchia. Yeah, uh, energy or maybe even the interest of making fresh pasta at home because, of course, our lives are really the, the right way to do it is with a mortar and a pestle. And I watched uh, a... Um, Actually, all artichokes. Artichokes, <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. And well, I haven't been to that area in artichoke season. And, and uh, artichokes, if you were to ask me what my favorite food was, I just might say artichokes. Oh, it, yeah. it would be hard to answer that question, but I just might say artichokes. Um, and actually, my my um, um, I have relatives who live in the next town, Cerveteri, which is a very old Etruscan town, and they would always go to Ladispoli uh-huh. um, for fish because they have a great fish market there. And during the artichoke season, you know, they, they everything is all about artichokes in in uh, that area. But Ladispoli is famous for that festival. Yeah, the the, the chefs the chefs at La Pasta Vecchia. Cook for is wearing hats that were shaped like artichokes. Oh, and, and, oh no, I have to go. And every every dish on the menu had artichokes in it. That's yeah. wonderful. Yeah, we we've had good times in Italy. Um, well, yeah, yeah. So, imagine. I mean, it's just so magical, you know, to just be traveling and and see one of these festivals and stop and the whole town, you know. Congregates and, and, and makes you know some unique form of pasta by hand, and you know a thousand people are there eating it under a tent. And if you're wandering by the tourists, you can go too, and it's free. You know they're just fabulous, and they, they that still goes on. I'm happy to say, right. but the book does include um, a. Um, it was cooking show with over 1.2 million viewers per episode. I mean, that's a real couple. Thousands of them. I and mean, a lot of them are new. Some of them aren't. Some of them go back to ancient times. Um, but every region has them, and they're so much fun. But this is the kind of thing that, that you know, makes this book, I think, so different from, you know, the usual, not that there's a usual cookbook about Italy, but there's so many um, cookbooks about Italy. This is really, as I said, it's an atlas. And it really concerns itself with the culinary cultures of each of Italy's regions. Um, no, I, I, I can. So rich. I can remember driving driving north 
in, in Puglia towards that peninsula that sort of sticks out into the Adriatic? And yeah. dri- dri- driving <laughs> America's test kitchen in National Geographic. And uh, in addition to the one, yeah. You, you, all, the, all, all the old farmers had their little uppies parked, where they, parked right next to where they were tending their garlic. But you could actually smell it with the car window open. You could smell it. Yeah. In the air. <laughs> oh, isn't that wonderful? Were oh, they yeah. harvesting them at that time? I, I, Lots of wonderful sauces in there. There's a beautiful sauce called La Genovese, which has nothing... Puglia is an absolutely beautiful region. My father was born in Puglia. He from, was from uh, Torito. And um, so both of my parents are, come from the southern region. Now, where was your father region. from? He was from Torito, which is okay. in Puglia, in, uh-huh. in the province of Bari. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. And we've been yeah. to Puglia. The, the, the only re- region I don't like in Italy is, um, what's it called? Cinque Terre. I hate Cinque Terre. <laughs> Hikers going through with the big boots and they're looking into the windows of people's houses and, you know, I, I just didn't like it at all. It became the darling yeah. of food writers. For travel and leisure and Condé Nast Traveler and all those magazines, they all, across a period of about two years, every one of them had a huge story about Cinque Terre. So we decided we really must go, and we just hated it. Hated it, yeah. But uh, um, an area that really surprised us was, um, and the food I thought was rather amazing, was uh, Le Marque. Oh, yes, Le Marque. That's actually where my uh, co-writer's father was was from, Lemarca. Lemarca has extraordinary food, and their products are just their fruit. They're known for their fruit. Um, just fantastic. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful region. No, it's never been trendy, you know. It's never been very trendy, has it? We, we we had lunch there, if you remember. We had we had lunch as the guests of the people who owned this restaurant. It was called The Garden or something like that. And and Mama, who ordinarily would have just been in the kitchen, said said hello, but didn't speak any English. But but we discovered that someone had discovered a particular pasta that she made, so they flew her to New York City oh, to, right, to, yeah. to make this particular pasta really? yeah. in, their, in their restaurant. There are a million know. stories. Was it, was it, was it, uh, what, what pasta was it? I don't. I don't. <laughs> you're asking me to remember. I can't oh, remember. Was it bean cheese grassi, the the, the, the lasagna like? Uh, I, I, I I don't remember it don't, actually. It, it doesn't matter if you went through a hundred styles of pasta. I still wouldn't remember. I can I can remember trivial things like who's who's the biggest fan in the world of licorice from Tropea. Like, you know, you have a light coating of the of the of the pasta with the sauce, so that you can see. Well, thank you, Anne. I mean, you know, that has been the focus of the television show. And you too, Marianne. Good to talk to you again. Bye-bye. Okay. Ciao, Bye ciao. now. Bye-bye. Ciao, ciao. Tropea. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, it, it has to be from Tropea in Calabria. Oh, isn't that funny? Well, there's, as I said, there's so many stories. I don't know even how you were able to set up parameters for this book. Um, but, but, but you but, did. But, and but, but listeners, if, if you're looking to... Find your way around Italy to a lot of the good places. This is this is a book you should have. No questions. No absolutely. Questions about it. I mean, the photos. We we haven't really talked about the photos. They're absolutely extraordinary, and there are lots yeah. of them. And um, the the their tips. Well, I like the way it's 
order with all the recipes. You say uh, it's a section called "Why This Recipe Works," which I think is brilliant. Yeah. That's a very typical approach, American Test Kitchen. Yeah, American well, Test Kitchen yeah. approach. And mm-hmm. it, and you know it's been tested because I mean that's what they do. It's like a, a laboratory, isn't it? It is. It really is. They have a fifteen thousand square foot. If you want to, and I still do that, or you could just add your yeast to, um, you know, your drying. Frida Miso de Mari. Oh, boy, that so we're works ta- good. talking about Tasting Italy, a culinary journey. As I said, it was co-published by America's Test Kitchen and National Geographic, and that's one of the reasons why we we took that Atlas approach. Um, that's something that National Geographic is so good at. Um, and also, of course, the photography. Um, there's exquisite photography. Okay. Some of that photography was uh, contributed by my husband, who is a photojournalist and architect, but he often travels with me, and some of his photos are in, are in here. Um, oh, really? As well, yes. Yeah. Well, that's convenient, but, too. So one of the things that the book does, and, and I think this is um, one of the best things about it, is it you know, covers every region, and so it covers regions that, like La Marque, that Americans have not... And travel to a great deal and don't know very well. They have a tendency to, of course, always go to Tuscany and, and, and Rome and Florence right. and Venice. But but the book really talks about the um, the cultures of every single region. And and you know we really we really went back to the prehistories as well as the histories of each of these regions because it all it all forms what Italy is today and what their culinary cultures are. Um, an example is, uh, for example, uh, in Basilicata, which is the, the instep of Italy, um, is famous for its sausages. And uh, what we learn is that they actually derive from Abruzzese um, people who emigrated to Basilicata and started making sausages. And the Romans... Um, found them making sausages, loved the idea, and, and and they spread these sausages all over Italy. And the sausages I'm talking about is, the, is this, what we call sweet sausages in this country. But that originates with... A, Did you ever hear that? Yeah, uh, well, that's an Italian-American <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah. It did, you know, for Basilicata. So the book is you know, really full of interesting things yeah. like that. Which and we looked up on the shelves where they had products stored... And yeah. there were, I knew Italy very well, but um, and and I sort of do, but uh, I I found out things that I never knew at all in this book. I said there's something um, that you can get out of this, no matter what your level of knowledge of, or experience in Italy is. Let's leave let's leave a cli- let's leave a cliffhanger. Okay. Is that the cliffhanger? <laughs> no, from from our visit to Basilicata. Where, where, uh, where, we, where we stayed, we even stayed on the coast in Basilicata, uh, but we never found the Castagna lady. Oh yeah, the Castagna lady. <laughs> you were looking for, for the there, chestnut lady. We, we, re- we read about the chestnut lady, the Castagna lady. <laughs> we, but we searched we, far we, and wide. For we never, her. we never found her. In three visits to uh, Basilicata, we never found well, her. Probably I mean, we, fun looking. I mean, we know, we know, the, we know the guy who rebuilt the caves in Matera. Yeah. Oh, really? The yeah. Architect? Well, Kilgren, his name was. He, he's half Swedish, half 
Milanese, but he he oh. restored um, uh, he restored a, a mountain village in uh, Abruzzo, Santa Stefano, Santa Stefano, and he also restored the uh, caves and made them chic. I mean, this we stayed in the uh, the restored um, with the Humana exhibit museum. He had um, hot, um, what kind of cabling was that? Uh, fiber optic cabling and the whole thing, but. It was, I mean, he left the soot on the walls and <laughs> from where the fires used to be. It's quite a place. If you haven't been there, it's... It is. It really is extraordinary. Oh, you've been there? Um, yes, I have. It's crazy, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. So I, I wrote the chapter on Basilicata. Um, as I said, my co-writer and I split up the region. Ten, she wrote about ten, I wrote about ten of them oh. uh, for a total of 20. And so I, I wrote many, pretty much most of the... Uh, southern um, part, some, some from central Italy and some from the north as well. But uh, she did more of the northern regions and I did more of the southern regions and Vazilicata was one of them. Well, um, keep us posted on what your next book is. And, and th- and thank I certainly s- shall. I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I have a book about Sardinia on the back burner, which I've been wanting to do my whole life. Um, but I've just never, um, it's just a huge project for me because Sardinia means so much to me. Um, partially because my mother is from Sardinia. Sardinia. Oh, you're from Sardinia. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you so have a book on Sardinia. About Sardinia in English, and um, let's go. You know, so when you when you're writing your book about Sardinia, call us and we'll tell you the story of what was it called? Grand Prix. <laughs> the Grand Prix. <laughs> and, well, I promise you, I will. And, it, and it's and it's going to be a secret until then. <laughs> That's our <Okay>. book. <laughs> but truly, Julia, it would be most fun going to Sardinia with you. Let's do that. Yes, but let's not. I'm, I'm making myself a note right now as we speak, and when I start working on it, I will. I will be in touch with you. Great, love that. Oh, thank you so much again. Tasting Italy, and we're talking to um, Julia. Julia Della Croce, who knows Italy thoroughly and has done uh, an, an half of these essays in this book. Thank you, Julia. Ciao, Thank ciao. Thank you so much. Ciao, ciao. ciao. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. And we obviously can't close the program without a beverage. They, they do, <laughs> a they little do, sippy they, here, they do. They do that in it, 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 Italia. And this particular substance has been around since, I think, the 16th century. It's the oldest, I believe, Italian liqueur. Uh, but it's reinventing itself in a very exciting way. So you, you'll have fun listening to this one, I can assure you. It's so pretty. So, so pretty. <laughs> uh, we're talking uh, to Matthew or Matt uh, Hirsch or Hirschendein, uh from... It's a very fragile herb, and by whirling it around in a food processor, you first of all putting... <laughs> she, now, she practices. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> we do, yes. Um, no, well, 
it's it's so pretty. Um, I I really am curious about the background of this project. Um, it's, it came to me with a headline of Disadorno wears Trusardi. Yep. Okay. Go on, go on. You're going to have to explain. You have to start from there. I'm surprised by that, too. But I was in a restaurant near Lake Garda uh, in the Dolomite Mountains. And I- the, uh, what, what, what that is, is what we call our icon bottle program. And the, uh, it's now in its sixth year. So we started, uh, obviously, six years ago. And the, the uh, basis behind the program is, you know, Di Serrano is, is such an iconic product. Uh, it was created in 1525, still owned and create, created by the same, owned by the same family that created it, the Reyna really? family. Um, what family? Reyna. Reyna, that's correct. Reyna, oh, okay. Yep. And, um, you know, in, in Serrano, that's where it gets its name, Di Serrano, oh, meaning Serrano. from Serrano. Like Dedham, Dedham. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you know so that? What we wanted to do was, uh, you know, going back six years ago, is, you know, being such an iconic brand that's been around for, you know, it's such a, uh, a highlight of, uh, of Italian culture and luxury, uh, we were trying to think of ways to, to um, you know, to showcase that more, you know. And one of the, you know, the idea that we came up with was to partner up with um, iconic Italian fashion houses um, that are very, you know, world-renowned, just like our brand, and have them create, you know. Do they have time for this, or do they even want to do that? So uh, these recipes, you have to... On the holidays. Now, that's not too uh, far afield, because when you think about the relationship between design and food, uh, think about all the... Um, I Risotto <laughs> with blueberries, but yes. So I, I uh, you know, jotted down... With, which fashion brand is that, or is that the Lamborghini people? I don't know. I don't know. Anyhow, uh, but there, and then there's the, the big one in Firenze... Uh, what, what's yeah, with a platter full. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So, uh, I, and I talk about there doesn't. Yeah, there's uh, yeah, there have, there's been a, you know, I've I've seen over the years, you know, collaborations between, um, you know, obviously fashion brands. He is talking about the the products uh, that Italy produces. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned Lamborghini. Uh, another one is Ferrari. Um, Ferrari is the one ago, I was thinking, uh, yeah. Puma, and I think maybe they still do to this day, uh, Puma made um, a whole line of Ferrari clothing, branded clothing. No, really? I, I didn't know that. Oh, Matt, yeah, I, I, need yeah. you to, I need you to speak up a little bit, Matt. Okay. Is that uh, better? Yeah, yeah you, were, you were fading on me just a little bit. Okay. Yeah. And so... Let me let me ask you a question before we get, before yeah, we get sure. too far adrift. Because I want... I want to make sure that those people among our listeners who are imbibers rather than dressers. <laughs> yeah. What 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 is Serrano? To to me, it tastes a lot like that almond li- liquor. Yeah. What what's what Di Serrano is is the uh, it, it's the original amaretto. Okay, um, it is amaretto. That's it. Okay. okay, that's what we thought it was. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Not, I mean, not only is it an amaretto. Um, but it is the original Amaretto. Well, I mean, we're finishing up our 15th year of the show. And, uh, yes. I, I, that Di Serrano is basically 
the amaretto. Um, it, it, we, that I've kept over the years and with all of the trips that I've made to Italy. So starting in... Of, uh, ...of our product, it says, originale since 1525. Wow. Um, you know, thus saying, you know, hey, it's the original. And then also, if you turn it over uh, on the back label of the bottle, it says, the amaretto liqueur. Uh-huh. People know that it is, as far as we're concerned, it is the, the original, the one. I didn't. Well. I, I I didn't see that. Now, where is Serrano? Is it? I was going to ask do, that, and I should know. Yeah. Do, do I get so, the impression that it's near Milan somewhere? Yeah, you're very close. <laughs> so Serrano is uh, in uh, in northern Italy, uh, very close to Milan. I would say Milan is 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 the is the is the closest major city. So it's right outside of Milan, and then um, it's it's uh, basically in between Lake Como and Milan. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. So the, it's a very the, elegant part of Italy. And the raw material is almonds, correct? Well, no, that's actually oh, okay. a common misconception. Okay, well, that, I'm glad we cleared it up then. Yeah, no, 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 absolutely. I'm, and I'm glad you said that because, um, you know, th- th- there's a lot that goes into our product. But, you know, one, one of the things I wanted to highlight was the three... So many um, cookbooks about Italy. This is really, as I said, it's an atlas. And it really cooking fat is olive oil instead of butter or lard. Your sweets are kept to a minimum. From the pit of an apricot. <laughs> oh, I know. You know, I was just talking about that. We had a, a phase where, um, I guess it was one of my uh, hippie day things, is that um, the, the, that pit from uh, an apricot yep. uh, was... Uh, a, a cure for a prevention of something of cancer until they found out, and I was happily cracking all those nuts eating the pit, you know, and until that they found out that it contained arsenic. <laughs> that much I remember. And of course, well, and of course lots of pasta. Take found out ultimately you have to have a, eat a lot of it, you know. Yeah, yeah, the, 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 you know, there, there's, you know, a lot of, uh, um, you know, products like Di Serrano that are that are hundreds of years old. I mean, the, the uh, Genovese, but your pro- proportions are so totally different. It's amazing. For medicinal purposes, you know, uh-huh. uh, tonics and salises um, that you would go, you know, to an herbalist, um, you know, that would, would create this, you know, this liquid and say, you know, hey, your stomach's, you know, upset, drink this, yes. you know. And, um, you know, here we are fast. Did you ever hear that? Yeah, well, that's an Italian-American thing. <laughs> yeah, just drinking it for enjoyment. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, the, okay, so yeah. that's the, so that's the start off. Then what what else is in there? So yeah, so you know, so basically going back to it real quick, you know, that's a, that's a common thing because you know there are quote unquote some uh, brands that call themselves amaretto that are made with with almonds and. And actually, real amaretto is created from, like we said, an apricot, not not the meat or fruit of an apricot, but you know, all stone fruit has a. You know, even, even to this day, and um, of course, as you said, that is because the pit of an apricot is a small little uh, kernel or almondine, which is a little. It, it looks like uh, very much a miniature almond. And it um, is extremely bitter. If you ever bite into one, oh, yeah, well, I used to crack them all the time. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So you know. Um, no, I can. I, I can. So rich. I can remember driving driving north in in Puglia. The nucleus, if you will, for our product. Uh, you know, and then the other two main ones uh, that I mentioned. And I got bit by the bug uh, that everything in the world had to be Italian. I would. 
Japan. The other one is uh, Coco. Coco. Amazing. Wow. Okay. So yeah. It, so, it's, so, so it's a little bit like that liqueur that you put the coffee beans in. Yeah, you know, there's there's so many liqueurs out there, and you know, now um, there continues to be, um, you know, uh, innovation, if you will, within the liqueur category, which is great. You know, I mean, so you know, somebody, hybrids of, of of spirits with with different tastes and so on and so somebody forth. Somebody told me there's an artichoke liqueur. Now that sounds really bad, and I adore artichokes. I just can't imagine it as a liqueur. <laughs> yeah, I, I do know that uh, you know there's artichoke used in um, uh, an Italian amaro, but uh, yeah, well, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a whole other yeah. spirit category than, yeah, than sure. liqueurs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know the, the the you know that's the the wonderful thing about uh, traveling in Italy. Uh, sometimes within for short periods of time in Italy, all um, you know going back, you know as it's you know, been used or, or I should say consumed over hundreds of years is, you know, originally obviously was just neat <laughs> for lack of uh, ice and, you know, ice cubes and refrigeration purposes. And then, you know, eventually, um, you know, drinking it um, you know, on the rocks before or after dinner became uh, very common. And then, um, you know, and also with um, uh, certain cocktails, it became extremely popular and, and, and really helped explode its, its growth on the world stage. One of those cocktails um, I'm sure you're familiar with is the Di Serrano Sour, uh-huh. yeah. which is, you know, very simply. Like, yeah. You know, you have a light coating of the, of, the, of the pasta with the sauce so that you can see. Some kind of sugar, whether it's sugar, uh, you could use honey, you can use a uh, simple syrup type mixture. But, you know, I mean, a very simple, delicious cocktail that... Um, Still to this day, I think is in one of the globally is one of the uh, in the top uh, twenty five or thirty most sold cocktails in the world. Now, there's, now there's another. Hold on a minute. There's another. There's another one, and I mean, and I'm intrigued by this one because pr- the Prosecco region, the Prosecco producing region of Northern Italy, is not so very far away from from where we're speaking of in Serrano and Milano. But it, but one one of the cocktails that you have in your in the information that you that you can get out of this, no matter what your level of knowledge of, or experience in Italy. Yeah, the the you know that again highlights the mixability of it. Um, you know the the great thing about the Serrano is no matter almost most aspects, if not all, of what we'll call modern cocktail and modern cocktail culture. Um, whether it be tiki-style drinks, whether it be um, spritz-style drinks, which you just alluded to, spritz meaning bubbles or, you know, something effervescent in it, um, you know, champagne, prosecco, cava, those style cocktails, as well as um, another big thing is low ABV cocktails. You know, because Di Serrano is liqueur, and it's, um, you know, it's it's not 80 proof like, you know, you boast, or higher, like whiskeys and tequilas and, and rums, it is, um, you know, it's 56 proof, uh, 20, 28%, you know, alcohol by volume, ABV. It, um, you know, if, if drink with, uh, you know, a Prosecco cocktail, like you mentioned, at brunch, it's incredibly delicious and refreshing, but also is low ABV, so you can have a couple of them and, you know, and, and feel comfortable doing so. Mm-hmm. Now, let, let, now let's, let's explain. Let's go back. Yeah, in Naples, too, on the street, drying, drying it on the street. Well, now... Um, what it is that will go under your 
Lover's Tree. What, what, will, what will go under the Christmas tree? Because it's really a special combination of design stuff. Oh, the, uh, the this year's uh, this year's icon bottle package. You got it. That's it. Yeah. No. So so this year. It's beautiful, you know, beautiful, man. Yeah, I, I will. You know, we've 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 done. Like I said, now this is the sixth year of the icon bottle, and this year our it was designed by Trisardi, and um, Trisardi is you know as as I mentioned earlier, like uh, you know past uh, designers that have designed our bottle is a you know is a very well-known Italian fashion and lifestyle brand. Um, they, uh, you know, they're founded, family-owned, and operated to this day, um, just just like Di Serrano, uh, founded in 1911. And what makes it so beautiful is that it is a combination of some classic design elements, as well as extremely modern and contemporary, fun um, street artist and graffiti style elements. So it has, um, you know, the silhouette uh, of the Di Serrano bottle patterned uh, monogram throughout the bottle, like with, along with the uh, the Greyhound, which is the symbol for Tresardi, yeah. the fashion house. And then around the bottle, we have, um, you know, they, they put paint splashes of, you know, or paintbrush strokes, if you will, of fuchsia and almost like a, a neon yellow and a beautiful powder blue. So, oh, the colors are just gorgeous. Yeah, it I just mean, pops, and, and, and it's amazing. I, I, this is, you know, we've had um, the, the, the luxury of partnering with some amazing fashion brands over the years. Uh, for, uh, the second year was Versace. The third year was Roberto Cavalli. So these are, you know, extremely well-known, you know, fashion brands in, in uh, you know, at the... the the highest levels, or if you will, thing. If I'm trying to recall something, it's as if I'm right back there when I look back in the another famous brand. Yeah, I should say but that would be a nice button. Let me ask you something. Yeah, uh, I mean, we've been drinking this stuff. <laughs> yeah, but then I mean, I can't bear to throw the bottles away. I mean, I've been drinking the little ones, which are you—that's one package that people can buy for the yep. holidays as a gift. Uh, and it, it consists of how many? Six. Six little bottles. Oh, the, uh, yeah, we do, uh, each year now, we started, I think it was, um, uh, in the third year with Cavalli, what we, we also had the designer do, besides a, a real, for sure there are some recipes that you need to repeat, like for instance, how to make a good chicken. Shelves, if you will, on, uh, the most liquor stores. We also, you know, have mini bottles, the little 50 mLs, but what yes. we had them do, which is really unique, is, Every year now, including this year, we have the... Yes, Tell us yes. about that. that. First of all, you, the luncheon sounded fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> Little mini bottles. They come in packs of three. So to get all six, you'd have to get two packs of the three. Uh-huh. But each one is unique. So you can kind of collect all six if you but want But what to. do you do with them is what I want to know. I can't bring myself to throw them out. You put them on, <laughs> your, you put them on your bookshelf, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I have... I have every year's large bottle as well as every mini bottle that we've created on my shelf in my office. So oh, believe I bet, me, I'm right there with you. <laughs> but I bet, I bet they're empty. Pardon? I said I bet they're empty. <laughs> the, uh, the other thing, too, that uh, you, know, no, you talked own, about. Oh, come on, own up, Matt. Are they empty or not? <laughs> oh, uh, one more time, I'm sorry. Are they empty? Oh, <laughs> actually, um, they're full. <laughs> yeah, they, they are. They are un. They are uncracked. 
bottles. They are absolutely full, probably because I have plenty of DiSerrano and regular bottles that I can dip into at any time. Uh, wow! You, know, you can never, never can tell what you might. Think well, you of know, it. you you could also carrying it a step further. You could sponsor a contest every year of uses for these bottles after the the uh, um, the, the liquid is gone. Interesting enough, here's here's a here's a thought for you to conjure with. You could put little and hooks it, on them and hang them off your well, tree. Well, hold on a second. Let me, let me put in my bid here. I might I might be able to make a money, bit of money on the side here. <laughs> You, you know that's not a, that, that's not a bad idea, and I and I have seen I, I've seen some uh, amazing creativity on you know on, uh, you know just on obviously on the internet um, you know with people that have turned De Serrano bottles into lamps and oh, people really? have turned into vases and candles and and I'm sure the minis have wound up hanging off of more than plenty of people's Christmas trees and ornaments. Well, well, so. well, well, here's one for you. And we actually met the artist who created this just outside Oxford in in central England where, where it happens one of our nephews lives is the estate of a branch of the Rothschild family which owns Lafitte. And, and for, for their, for their, in the main area, this sculptor designed a tree. <laughs> and, and, but all, all the branches of the tree are wine bottles. All the branches the, are, are what? They're wine bottles. Bottles of wine. Oh, oh, wow. Empty wine bottles. <laughs> yeah. So it's a bottle tree, if you like. <laughs> that, that's got to be one beautiful, especially with lighting. Oh, but yeah. two, I've got to imagine that's incredibly heavy. <laughs> I should too. Probably that. Probably that too. <laughs> if, you, if you need, if you need more details about that, just give us give us a call offline, and we'll give you the information. Well, this I hope somebody uses my idea. I mean, my really greatest idea was um, for the feast of the Corpus Christi in Sevilla, Spain. They have this grand. Um, Parade. Procession. Not, yeah, procession. It's not a parade. It's religious. And um, th- these, they carry these... Chow Italia, but they all became, uh, those journals became the basis for the books wrote. And, it's- and they'll need like, it's on a pallet, and then they'll need like six to eight guys to lift it up and walk, and it's so heavy. Every so often, they have to put it down. And, but, going to get to Italy, but they can vicariously be there through you and how you... Right. Again, listeners, it's uh, the latest in the Ciao Italia series by Mayor Feet, but these guys all had Nikes on, and I thought it would be the greatest ad for Nike in the world. Uh, energy or maybe even the interest of making fresh pasta at home because, of course, our lives... Matt, see what you can do. Well, anyway, let, let's, let's close out by making sure that... Like like people on the Today Show do, you know you know where you can find Serrano in this particular trousseau. Yeah, you know the, uh, the the main the main thing to look for, like you had mentioned, for is uh, especially with the holidays rolling around, is the um, is the uh, is our gift pack a, uh, a bag of flour so that you come up with this compacted uh, <laughs> cut. Our, our, our gift box contains uh, one bottle. Seven hundred and fifty milliliters. Extraordinary, and there are lots yeah. of them. And um, the, the and as well, it comes with uh, two uh, champagne flutes. Oh, so you know, I mean, uh, what a great way to great. whether for yourself or 
you know, to give somebody as a, you know, as a gift that comes in a beautiful box with a little bit of handle, uh, with a little handle, on, uh, you can easily, you know, just throw some wrapping paper around that and, and put a little card on it. It's a, it's a great gift to give people that obviously um, speaks very well to the celebratory nature, if you will, of the holidays, including New Year's Eve. And yes. the, um, you know, the, the cocktail that you mentioned, the Di Serrano Sparkling, uh, we call it, uh, recipe is also on the back. And it's very simple. It's Di Serrano, uh, one part Di Serrano and three parts Prosecco. And, and you know, and, and put that into uh, one of those beautiful champagne flutes it comes with. But um, that's right. Beautiful region. No, it's we, never been trendy. You know, it's never been very trendy, has it? We, 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 had luck. we can't wait to see what you conjure up for 2019. Yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure it'll be just as exciting as this year's and, and the past year's as well. And thank you so much for talking to our listeners about Di Serrano and Troussard. Uh, thanks, thank, Matt. Yeah. yeah, thank you very much for having me. It was great. <laughs> okay, so, well, um, before we go, um, we usually just sign off, but I, I thought we've gotten so many inquiries about uh, advertising on our site. Um, send us an email, zip it to on the menu at on the menu radio.com. And I don't know how you're listening to it, but in addition to our website, which is, of course, on the menu radio.com, you could also, um, get us on iTunes and Google. Is it Google Music or Google Sound? I can't remember. And some various other places. And, and in, in any event, hang, hang around at onthemenuradio.com because we're getting our website read on. Yes, indeed. So it's, so Very it's exciting. Really exciting for everybody. In, in the meantime, until next week, same time, same place. Bye-bye. started uh, obviously six years ago and the the uh, basis behind not a nation. They're a much newer nation than we are, you know, and until then, each of those regions...